Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, it is a uh, it is a beautiful morning. Um, got the sun shining. Um, not sure <clears throat> what the weather is like everywhere on this planet, but uh, I can tell you whether the sun is shining or not. It's still a good day. Um, I, I I told my my little ones the only bad day is the day that. You die in sin. Every Amen. other day, Amen. other than that, is a good day. Um, it is a good day because God has given you an opportunity to breathe. God has given you an opportunity to make things right if, if they need to be made right. Um, and certainly God has given us an opportunity to continue to serve Him um, and to continue to acknowledge His existence. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is acknowledging God. Now, this, uh, I don't, I'm not going to go too far into the woods with this lesson. I, I'm going to try to keep it as, uh, at least as, uh, you know how it is. You know, you think about a topic and uh, for, for, you know, days and days, and you can go down the rabbit hole. And, you know, you could say, you know, I'd be interested if I talked about this. Well, what about that? And then what about this scripture? And then, oh, that's the reason why... This scripture says this, or the reason why this person did that. I will strive not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I will start by saying this, that um, how do you know that God exists? You know, the scripture tells us that no man has seen God and lived, uh, but how do we know that he exists? Um, the <clears throat> It's not just a, you know, it's not just a philosophical question. Um, you know, there, that, that question really kind of permeates everything. Um, you know, all of the fundamental questions of, uh, of human life hinge on that particular point or that particular question. Does God exist? Uh, the reason why we read that Genesis, the first chapter, um, verses 1 through 3 is really a statement of his existence. Moses, when he wrote this particular, uh, this particular book, he started off by saying that God was there and then God created everything from the beginning. And what's interesting that, uh, you know, when we look at the concept of time, you know, that time has a beginning and an end, um, we see here at the very beginning that there, or rather, there was a beginning. Uh, but there had to be something before the beginning. There had to be something to start it. And again, uh, I, I don't want to go too far into the woods, but uh, too far into the weeds, rather, but science will tell you that there was a big bang, that there was an instantaneous release of energy into the void of darkness, and uh, you know that instantaneous release of energy. Uh, you know all of the the atoms and molecules and and quarks and subatomic particles were uh, created in this moment, um, and this rapid expansive energy um, coalesced into the form of the universe as it exists today. All matter. Well, that's, again, one of the, the principles of, of physics is that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It, it's transformed. 
Um, at the very beginning, this Big Bang, all matter was or was brought into existence. Well, if you overlay that with you know what we know about science, and again what we know about Genesis, the first chapter, again it all leads us to the point that there was something, something had to initiate this beginning. And I go back to the question, does God exist? Well, <clears throat> we know that God does exist. But does God exist for everyone? Not for everyone. We know that. We know that there are uh, atheists, those who do not believe in God. Right? So does God exist for them? Well, we've talked about this a number of times before about the truth. You know, there is truth and there is untruth. There is, uh, there's truth in a lie. And whether or not you believe it to be true does not excuse the fact that it is true. For example, there are those that believe that the earth is flat. To them, they believe that the earth is flat. But is the earth flat? Don't. So regardless of what one believes, the truth will always be there. The truth, the truth really doesn't require us to believe or not to believe. With that, if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> we're going to be reading from uh, a few verses uh, in the book of Job. Uh, Job is right before Psalms, and, and we've, we've talked about this <clears throat> before. Um, in, uh, well, there's a number of verses, but let's start reading at, uh, let's say, uh, Job, the 38th chapter. Uh, Job, the 38th chapter, and verse number four, uh, you know, when, when God is having a conversation with Job, and, and this is Job, who uh, was, was a faithful uh, faithful man, he started off, you know, as one who gave alms every year uh, for the blessings that God had uh, had showered upon him and his family. So he was a believer. Um, but you know what uh, Satan did? Satan said, "Well, the only reason why he believes in you is because he's been blessed by you." And that's actually a, a, a powerful statement. Um, it, it's really kind of a litmus test for, for all of us is do you believe God just because he's been good to you or do you believe God because God exists you know the scripture tells us that it is not a it is not a heavy lift to believe in God why why isn't a heavy lift to believe in God because the devil and his angels also believe you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that God exists because he exists. God doesn't exist because I have created him in, as a figment of my imagination. He will exist because he exists. That Satan and his angels are going to be destroyed, uh, or excuse me, punished with eternal damnation. But yet and still, what do they do? They believe that he exists because he exists. But in uh, Job, the 38th chapter, again, in verse number 4, 
God asked this question, where were, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Uh, and, and, you know, who are you to lay the measures thereof if you know? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with the doors when it break forth as if as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud, uh, when I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hither thereto shalt thou come, but no further, and here and here shalt thou proud waves uh, be stayed. Now I want to talk about a uh, well. Basically, what what God is saying is, number one, were you there to start the beginning? And if you were, or if you knew, then how did you perfectly measure everything out? I mean, where is your tape measure that is long enough and broad enough to measure the height, weight, and depth? of this three-dimensional space or actually it's a four-dimensional space right because the fourth dimension is time okay I'm gonna go I'm gonna go into the weeds here just to explain what I just said a dot on a piece of paper only exists right because you can put a dot on a two-dimensional piece of paper Right? A dot is just one dimension. A point is one dimension. But you can't visualize a point unless you put it in a two-dimensional space. Mm -hmm. A piece of paper that has height, or excuse me, length and width, or height and width. Whatever the case may be, it's got to have those two dimensions. Right? You can't visualize a piece of paper, right, unless it is put in a three-dimensional space, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're, if you don't have three dimensions, you'll never know that the, the paper is just two dimensions. Meaning you want, you can't distinguish the fact that it is lacking in what? Width, right? So it has the height, the length, the third dimension being the width. You can't have a two, you can't have a two-dimensional object unless it's in a three-dimensional space. And then guess what? You can't have us, three-dimensional human beings, you know, this thing that you're sitting on, without what? Without it existing in a four-dimensional space. So we've got height, length, width, and the fourth dimension being time. Can you see time? No. No, but we know that we exist. We know that we are three-dimensional human beings. We know that fundamentally th a three-dimensional object or two three-dimensional objects cannot coexist in the same what? Time and space. It's impossible. So we are three-dimensional creatures because we exist in a four-dimensional universe. You know, the length, width, 
height and time. But you know what Job is, or what God is asking Job, God is asking Job, so where were you? As a three-dimensional creature, how can you go about creating four dimensions? Can a paper, a piece of paper, can an, an organism that is only, you know, just its height and its length create something in three dimensions? No, it's impossible. But guess what God can do? The scripture tells us in the book of Revelations that he is what? Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. So he is time. And if he is time, then guess what God can do? God can create three dimensions. And three dimensions is everything that we all see here, I mean, we, we touch three-dimensional objects. We live in a three-dimensional space. So does God exist? Is there, a cre is there a being that is beyond time that can start time and also end time? Well, the Bible tells us who that is, and that is God. So I, I apologize if I, I went too far into the weeds on that. But one other thing that... It's highlighted here. It says in verse number 12 of uh, Job, the 38th chapter, Has thou commanded the morning since the days and caused the day spring to know his place? Again, he is, he, Job is being informed as to who sets the boundaries of time. The, the rotation of the earth around the sun and, and thus the rotation of of the moon around the earth. Verse number 13, that it might take hold of the end of that it might take hold of the ends of the earth that the wicked might be shaken out of it. It is turned as clay to the seal and they stand as a garment. For the wicked their light is withholden and the high arm shall be broken. Now he's even talking about life and death. Now we're, now we're talking about, you know, a, a, a dimensional space after one does. This is what he says. Hast thou, entered into this, hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in search of the death? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? As thou perceive the breath of the earth, declare if you know the answers to these questions. Verse number 19. Where is the way where the light dwelleth? As for the darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, and that thou shouldest know the paths of the house thereof. Knowest thou it? Because thou was, because thou wast then born, or because the number of thy days is great. Now you know what he's saying here. He's saying the fact that you and I were born means what? 
Was God born? Well, no, he wasn't born because God was and is and will always be. But were you always here? You know, he, he makes a, a very sharp contrast between mankind and himself. All of human creation was born. Even Adam and Eve, well, they were created in the, in the but in this context, they were, and then they, well, they were not, and then they were. But was there someone before God? Was God, no, he wasn't. And it says, are thy numbers great enough to understand all the mysteries of the earth? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we won't live that long. We can't live that long. As a matter of fact, if you go back and we, we, we read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what Solomon tried to do, was to learn all that there could, all that there could be, be, well, I'm tripping on my own words. He tried to gain all of the knowledge that ever existed on earth. That's, he tried to learn, he tried to, to know all that there can be known, but what did he say? It was vain and vexation of spirit. And why is that? It's because it's unprofitable, number one. And number two, it's impossible. The book of, uh, the book of Proverbs tells us what? That the wisdom of man is what? Is akin to the foolishness of God. We can't know we can't possibly come to know the providence, the reason why God does what he does. Let me give you an example. If you were to take a comic book, right? Okay, let's, let's say an organism that just lives in two dimensions. Okay, just think about it for a second. If you were just a line on a piece of paper, what would your universe look like? Your universe would look like just a flat, wide space. That, that would be your universe, right? Because you live in a two-dimensional space. You cannot perceive in three dimensions. Because you're a two-dimensional creature. Now, we just got through saying that God is God. And not just, not, well, God is God. But not just that God is God. But that God can perceive time. He bookends time. He confines time. He sets the parameters of time. Now, if a lion can't perceive, if a two-dimensional creature can't perceive three-dimensional space, can we as three-dimensional creatures perceive the greatness of God in four dimensions? Or five dimensions? Or six dimensions? Whatever dimensions are there out there, God is above those because he created all of the things that exist in this universe. 
So how can how is it possible for for us to know all that there is to know? We it, it's impossible because we are confined by our own limited existence. We are confined by the three dimensions or the four dimensions or five dimensions, however you want to look at that we exist in. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the book of Psalms. In Psalms, the 62nd chapter. It says <clears throat> in Psalms, the 62nd chapter, in verse number 1, it says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, for him cometh my salvation. He is only my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, and I shall not great and I shall not be greatly moved. So, Sister Bill, if you were to take a sheet of paper out of your book, out of your notebook, and hold it, are you in control of it? Yeah, you are in control because you're holding it. What could you do with that piece of paper at a moment's notice? You can let it go. You can burn it, you can ride on it, you can crumple it, you can rip it into shreds. If there were living creatures on your paper, what would you be to those, to those creatures on your paper? You would be to them a god. Would you not? Right? Because you could ride over them, you could erase them off the paper, you could burn the paper, you could dunk the paper in water, you could rip it in shreds, you could crumple it into a ball. All of their existence is in your control because you're holding on to it. You're in control of it. When, uh, <clears throat> who is this? David was writing this song. What was he doing? He was acknowledging who was in control. And guess what? God is in control. He's holding the dimensions that we exist in in his hands. And guess what God can do at a moment's notice? He can write into existence new human beings. He could erase new human beings out of existence as well, just as Sister Bill could do with that piece of paper that she's holding. He could dip this existence into water like he did in the great flood. Or he could take this existence and light it on fire, which he promised to do when he sends his son again. He could crumple it. He can destroy stars and create new ones. He could destroy universes. He could take two universes and bring them together. He can shrink the universe by crumpling it in the might of his hands, or he could stretch it out. But do you see that? Because he lives in a higher, or he exists in a higher dimension than the one that we exist in, he is in control. Yes. And so what Solomon does is he does a thing that um, really speaks to the heart of my lesson today is he acknowledges God and who is in control. You know, to acknowledge means, if you, if you look, look that up in the Webster's Dictionary, to acknowledge means to uh, recognize that something is true or that something exists. 
And Solomon, or excuse me, David does this again by saying in Psalms, the second, 62nd chapter, that he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse number three. How long will I imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Salah. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. You know, in verse number 34, you know, what, what uh, uh, David is saying is that when people acknowledge, you know, let's say the power and the control of someone such as themselves, inevitably, what do they do? You know, inevitably, they will default to thinking of things that they can do to overthrow that person. But you know what David does? He says in verse number 5, my soul waits thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. In verse number 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Now I go back to the analogy again of this paper. If there were Sen um, uh, let's say sentient is that is that sentient. sentient thank you not sentient that's the name of a, of a flavoring company if there were sentient human uh, creatures on that two-dimensional piece of paper and they knew you existed right yes because they could see your three-dimensional hand right well they can't see your three-dimensional hand because they can't perceive in three dimensions so mm -hmm. they see just the very flat flatness of the flattest atom on your finger, right? Because they can only see in length and width. And they see this huge flat finger coming down to them and then riding into existence another sentient creature in pencil or pen. If they knew you existed, they see that you can create, they see that you can destroy, they see that you can uh, wet and burn, destroy and create, what would they do? You would beat them as a God, and all the things that David wrote about the Almighty God are the exact same things that they will write about you. They would say, right? that you are their salvation and their glory, the rock of their strength and their refuge. If you were kind and loving and compassionate and long-suffering and patient, if you exhibited all the same qualities of the Almighty God, then maybe they would say the exact same things about you. And I'm just using this as an analogy to highlight the reason why God exists and the reason why, logically speaking, we should acknowledge God in everything that we do. Now, I did talk about the benevolence of God, because that's 
um, a very important point. Now, I think Brother uh, Garner III is on the line with us, and he's probably going to smile when I say this. There is a um, there is an episode of the Twilight Zone. It's an old, old, old version. It's great, uh, you know, black and white television, no color. And in this particular episode, two astronauts are stranded on an alien world. And one of the astronauts is, he's a little weird. He's, he's suffering from, I guess I would say, uh, illusions of grandeur, right? He thinks he is more than what he is. And because he falls short of the, uh, of the vision of himself in his own brain, he takes it out on his commanding officer. And what he does is he's, he's just aloof and he doesn't care and he's disobedient and all of these things. He, he has this inside of him. He doesn't quite acknowledge it yet. But as he's walking through this alien world, he comes across a, uh, the native alien species, except they are very, very small. To him, they're like miniatures. They've got an entire civilization in a small patch of this earth, right? And then when he walks up, you know, he's just like a super giant. Problem is, is he too, just as well as those miniature creatures, exists in a three-dimensional space. But to him, what does he think? <laughs> to him, he thinks, I'm a god. Yeah. Right? And he's like, Arr, and he, you know, he's, you know, he puts his finger on people and destroys whole cities with his finger. Just because he can. Right? And in his mind, he thinks, I'm something. Now I truly am who I envision myself to be in my brain. <laughs> Except with the Twilight Zone, guess what happens? His commanding officer gets in the spaceship and leaves him there. And guess what happens to the man? The man who thinks of himself as a god. He too is bound by time. And he dies. So who's the God? Who's the all-powerful? Who's the all-knowing? Who's the all-seeing? Who is great? If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Proverbs, uh, the third chapter. And uh, this is where I am. Proverbs, the third chapter, starting at verse number one. Solomon writes this to his son. He says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. 
Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. That was a man who was the wisest of wise. He's smarter than any one of us here in this room. And this is what he's telling his son is to acknowledge God in everything that you do. Why? To acknowledge is a profession of truth. To acknowledge is a profession of fact. To acknowledge God in all things is to say that God does exist. And the only reason why I'm able to do what I do is because He exists and because He has given me the ability to do the things that I've just done. Now why should we do that? It says... <clears throat> in verse number 9 again it says honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine my son despise not the chastening of the Lord neither weary of his correction for whom the Lord loveth he correcteth even as his father the son in whom he Delighted. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. You know, the what wisdom and understanding should we grasp, or should we get? Well, just go back and read what we just got to read in the book of Job. God asked Job, where was your understanding? Where is the wisdom that you think you have? It's like that, uh, again, the Twilight Zone episode. Job is saying, Job, God is saying to Job, man, now hold on a second. You're getting a little bit too big for your britches. And he says that to me even. You know, sometimes I stand in my house, right? And, and I think this is my domain. I'm the master of this domain. I'm the master of this house. I'm the master of her, her, him, and her. Two dogs. This is mine. Right? I, I've made the statement before. I own my cars. And if I were so inclined, I could destroy those cars. Because I own them. They're in my grasp. And at times, I could be like the guy in that episode where I have illusions of grandeur. Right? I, I think I'm bigger than who I am. I think I'm in control more than I am truly in control. And at times, what do we do? We get obstinate. Right? Yeah, we, 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 you know, I, and obstinate, I, I think, is the best word, right? We, we get obstinate. We, we start saying things we ought not to say. You know, why? You know, you know, we, we just get angry when we realize that we're not in control. 
Go back and read the book of Job and look at the frustration and the anger and the obstinance. Job showed God just simply because of what? Just simply because God humbled him. Yes. Just because God showed him that he is not in control. So, the lesson is yours this morning. Does God exist? Yes, he does exist. For all the reasons that I've mentioned and more. Uh, let, me, let me give you one last verse. <clears throat> if you have, if you have, have your Bibles, uh, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians, the, uh, the 10th chapter. It says in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, um, <clears throat> well, I'll start reading in verse number one. Paul says this, he says, now I, Paul, my, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being bold, but, but being absent and bold towards you, excuse me, verse number two. I beseech you that I may that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walked in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled and this is where I'm getting to in verse number 7 do ye look on things after the outward appearance if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ let he of himself Think this thing, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, and not for, not for destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I, might, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say, say they are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Now here's the operative thing here. Is this is how powerful God is. Or rather, God, this is powerful, yet the words of God are. Is that it can transform you. Feeble, small, short, and eloquent, uneducated. And I, and I say that loosely. I say that loosely in the context of compared to God, let's say. Uneducated, unknowing, the Word of God can transform you into what? Someone who has the authority and the power of God Himself. Okay, let me just emphasize that point again. 
What Paul is saying is that the only reason why he can speak boldly is because he has the power of the word of God that comes out of his mouth. And this power of the word of God is so powerful that it can cast down even the imaginations and thoughts of humans, of mankind. Anything and everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God can be utterly brought low and destroyed simply by using the power of the Word of God. Amen. Did Jesus destroy? Did he bring, did he, what was it said, did he take into captive, did he bring captivity captive? As the scripture says, absolutely he did. John, the first chapter, says that Jesus is the word of God. Romans, the 10th chapter and verse number 17 says what? That the word of God is what? That, that the gospel is, uh, let, me, let me read it here. I have it in my brain, but I don't want to mess it up. Romans 10, 17. Uh, or, so then faith comes... Now, that's not the one I was looking for. What is it? Uh, Romans, the first chapter, verse number 17. 16. Verse 16, that's what I was looking for. For, not, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We know that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, yes. you know, able to divide the asunder of the soul and the spirit, uh, the sermon of the thought, the hearts and the thoughts of, of man. But we talk about God, we also should talk about the power of his word. And the power of his word is able to make you Somebody is able to expand your abilities and your potential in ways that you can't even imagine. <laughs> so much so that when the people read the epistles of Paul, what did they say? Man, his words are powerful and weighty. But when we see him in person, he's just fragile and weak and contemptible. I guess I would say is when you look in the mirror, I look in the mirror sometimes like, man, that's this isn't the guy that I envisioned in my mind. Sometimes I do. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> right? But yeah, I remember when I was, uh, and I'm going to end here. I remember when I was working out, and I was getting super buffed, and I'd look in the mirror like, okay, now I'm, I'm I, my, my body is fitting what I'm seeing in my head. But if you are a faithful Christian, and you have the Word of God in your spiritual hearts, your mind, it doesn't matter what you see in the mirror, you will always be great. Amen. Yeah. And you're not great because of anything you've done. You're great Amen. because God is great. Amen. You're great because you have accepted and acknowledged God and His Word as being great. 
So much so that you heard, you believed, you repented, you confessed, you went down that water grave of baptism. You have given yourself up to God, and he has made you great. The scripture tells us for those who are humble and abased, what does God do? He exalts. And those who think they are a God, those who think they are great, those who fail to acknowledge God, what does he do? He brings them love. What did Pharaoh say before he let the Hebrews go? What did he say? He had to acknowledge God. He acknowledged God. What did, uh, what did King Agrippa say when Paul was talking to him? Almost thought persuaded me to be a Christian. Amen. Because he acknowledged God. What did the what did the uh, um, on Mars Hill, the uh, the philosophers, you know, when when Paul came across this this uh, this this unknown God and the inscription to the unknown God, what did he do, or what did they soon believe that God is God, and they acknowledged him. If we fail to acknowledge our God. In everything that we do, we will obey. We will be we will be brought down low to the bottom. We will continue to fall down into the pit until we do what? We look up and say, Oh yeah, there you are. You are you are the Almighty, you are the controller, the master of the universe. If you're here this morning and you have failed to acknowledge God or you haven't been acknowledging God the way that you should, today is a great time to do that because it may be your only time. As I mentioned before, there is only one bad day. I mean, if you want to define the, the baddest of days, the worst of days, yeah. even, if, you know, even if you're struggling physically, that is not really a bad day. Because if you're going, if you're struggling physically and you're a faithful Christian and you happen to die as a result of that physical torment that you're going through, you can still die with a smile on your face knowing that number one, it's coming to an end, and number two, you're going to be in a place of paradise for all eternity. But the bad day is, regardless of how you leave this earth, is dying without acknowledging God. Dying in sin. Because we know that's that's it. There's no opportunity. All opportunity has come to an end. And we all know what happens after we die. The judgment. And we know that God does not what? He doesn't, well, he said, the scripture said, he is not slack concerning his promises as other men count slackness. He, is, he does not in any way, shape, or form give excuses or allow excuses for unrighteousness. He's told us that anyone who is a liar, who is a cheater, who is effeminate, um, you know, all manner of sin, what does he say? He says that they have no place in the kingdom of heaven. So the lesson is yours. 
if you are here this morning and you need prayers of uh, prayers of forgiveness, prayers of strength, uh, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.